0: Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver Sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more.
1: DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. A jam packed, busy day out at the Centura Health Training Center as the Denver Broncos hold. Media Day, more or less. We hear from CEO Greg Penner, President Damani Leach, head coach Sean Payton, safety Justin Simmons, and wide receiver Corlin Sutton. Plus, major breaking CU news. They are headed to the Big 12 probably tomorrow. They're going to get close to $32 million per year. Mace, the summer is over. The news is flooding in. DenverSports.com is loaded with stories because guess what? It's busy, busy season For you and I and our staff, and I wouldn't want it any other way.
2: Yeah. You know what? I was actually having a conversation with a fellow uh, muggle over at uh, Broncos headquarters uh, earlier on this afternoon. And there is something about this town when the page turns to football season. And it's not that the Nuggets championship ride wasn't amazing or the Avs. A trip to and and win winning of the Stanley Cup Finals last year wasn't, but when you get to the start of camp and even after the last few years, there's still that hope and buzz that okay, this can be different. It's like the temperature, just like it is outside the last week or so, it feels like the temperature went up a few notches in the sports world of this town.
1: It really did, man. I mean, it's you're right. Broncos is king, and we love our Nuggets, we love our Avalanche, but. With Sean Payton and Greg Penner and Damani Leach all getting a microphone, plus your best, uh, not best, uh, two of your seven best players and Justin Simmons and Cortland Sutton, two veterans who have done a lot of losing here. Let's start with them because it felt like to me, Mace, the tone from Justin and Cortland was... They were sick and tired of every single year getting up there and saying, "This year's different. The coach is different. The the uh, vibe around the facility is different. We're going to win. We're going to win." Like even Cortland and Su- Courtland and Justin, excuse me, sort of dreaded that press conference today mm-hmm. because they knew anything they said sounds like what they told us in twenty two,
2: twenty one, twenty over Zoom. And 19. Justin, in particular, I feel like was really, understandably so. Was over those types of questions, and he was over giving those type of answers. Right? Like he's like like he know, he knows what he said, and I think, frankly, he's given those answers because he believed it was different. He believed, okay, this time we're going to put this stuff together, and so you but you you believe that you want and need to believe that, and you keep getting let down year after year. Inevitably, what happens then is you know you you become not jaded but i think i think even the players the like like Justin like Corwin who've been around for a while they see a lot of things different with Sean Payton mm. but i think on some level they are in trust-but-verify mode.
1: They didn't want to get up there today and do what they did last year, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was, oh, Russ is here, things are different, we're finally going
2: to win. Because they all said that last they year. They did. did. Like, oh, it's different. You know, it feels different with Russ, and then it was, you know, they laid a colossal egg for four months.
1: I mean, he even got a question from Mark Kisla of the Denver Post, and Justin paused mm-hmm. and took a deep breath yeah. and just stood there in silence for three, four seconds about you know, ten feet away from you, twelve feet away from me, and just said, "I want to win." Yeah, and just moved on because you could tell this is a dude who's been in the league since the year after Super Bowl Fifty. Uh, got to be the longest tenured Bronco now, and yes, he just is sick of the forty-five second answers about how optimistic he is and the the rambling. Well, it's different because we got this QB or we got this coach. He just looked like a guy who's like, "I am so ready to just win." Because I've never done that in my NFL career, and I love Justin. I'm not faulting him for his approach in the past, but I thought
2: his approach today was the best we've seen. I do wonder though if things go sideways. Not that I think they will, but it, let's say this team gets off to a tough start, what kind of toll that might take on Justin Simmons? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean he already it, he already looked like not a defeated man today, but a man who
2: who has to win because like right he can't, now, like this is it. Like yeah, th- like. I could see him being in the mindset of, I mean, it's now or never, right? And the thing is with Justin, he has sat here and in the last five seasons, four of those years, he has seen linchpin players traded at the deadline because the season wasn't going well and they were trying to get some draft capital. The only year since 2018 the Broncos didn't trade a core player at the deadline was the COVID year of 2020 because remember how players had to kind of go through a few days of kind of quarantining, being away before they went somewhere else? So the trade deadline that year was muffled.
1: So you're talking about Bradley last year.
2: Vaughn the year before Emmanuel Sanders in 2019 and the late Demarius Thomas in 2018. So it's just big, big trades every year. Every year, and
1: but, you you yeah. have to wonder if guys like Simmons, and S- Simmons and Sutton are sitting there today going, "Could
2: that be me this year if things go poorly?" Right. Yeah. And how would they feel about that? I mean, would you know? Would they be okay with that? I mean, I'll I'll say this now. So certainly, the contract situation uh, was in play for Bradley Chubb as well, but he seemed. Pretty happy in Miami.
1: Well, he got a big, big deal. Right. I'd be he got, he got to down there Miami and he got paid for that amount of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I, but I think with Simmons, it's he's a Bronco through and through. He bleeds orange and blue, and he like, wants to win here. He wants it to happen here desperately. Like you said, he knows this is this is somewhat of a last chance for him because not that he's not a great player, but if it doesn't go well and Sean Payton really decides, okay, we are going to do somewhat of a rebuild, then I think the two guys we heard from today, Mace, along with obviously Russell Wilson, are the three most likely to not be on this team next year. Yeah, Simmons, Sutton, and Russell, because guess what? They picked up Jerry Judy's fifth-year option. He's coming back. Pat Sertan is a rising star, could be the next Champ alien in this town. He's coming back. But you look at some of the veterans, maybe uh, – I know James Merrillat thinks that there's a chance Josie Jewell doesn't make this year's team. I think that's nuts. But Josie Jewell not being around next year? That wouldn't shock me at
2: all. If Drew Sanders shows the progress that you want to see this year, that becomes a logical move, that Sanders ascends to the starting lineup and Josie Jewell isn't back for 2024. That's just that's the nature of this business.
1: All right, so really good stuff from Cortland Sutton and Justin Simmons today. Let's go bigger picture uh, training camp really started today, Mace. We got kind of got caught off guard. Um, just because fans weren't allowed in today doesn't mean that camp didn't start. What were your overarching takes from practice, uh, from the drills, from the Javante Williams, the Tim Patricks of the world? What did you see today that fans can expect to see on Friday? And one more on that. The intensity of today versus a Nathaniel Hackett type practice.
2: Well, not only was it more intense at a a higher tempo than those jog through practices every third day, it also was crisper and more intense than most of the regular practices last year too. And think about that. We're talking about the first day and there were some timing issues that are part and parcel of getting started, right? That happens every every year when you open camp, but that seemed to be far more urgent in terms of how they went about things. And it wasn't a long practice. I mean, they we got out there and they were in a walk through mode, and you know, in the end, I think from when they started stretching to when they wrapped practice was a little over an hour, but it was. A fast-paced hour. They got a lot in. And, oh, by the way, if you missed 7-on-7 last year, I alluded to it on the drive past hour, it's back. Yes. It's back in a big way.
1: And come Friday, we will be able to talk about our specific favorite plays um, because, obviously, folks will have seen them on the Hill and we're allowed to talk about it. So I'm not going to talk about any plays, but I'm just going to say who caught my eye today was Javante Williams. Mm -hmm. Greg Dulcich caught my eye on a couple of plays. And Russell Wilson, um, let's just say, Mace, he looks more comfortable in his own body. I was far away from Russ. I was on the hill. He was on the field across from me. He looks like, I, I always said 15 to 20 pounds. He may have lost 25 pounds, Mace. Yeah. He looks that fit and in shape. And when you first see three with your own eyes, you go, oh, I can't believe that's the same guy.
2: Honestly, when it, what hit me, I could tell from a distance, but then... There, I did a compare and contrast of pictures at press conferences last year, this year, because we we have a a photo service that we use, and I I did I went and looked up a couple of Russell Wilson up close press conference photos, and you could see in May he had lost weight in his face.
1: Mm. That's uh, always a pretty telltale sign. It's a
2: huge sign, and yeah. and if you if you're losing weight there, you're losing you're dropping everywhere, right? That's that 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 was. To me, that that was sort of the, the most visible indicator I saw that he that his recommitment has given him the results for which he was looking when he started the offseason.
1: My list was Dulcich, Javante, Russ, anyone else who, again, without talking specific plays, you thought today, hey, this person
2: popped. I thought Brandon Johnson had a, had a nice catch at one point. Um, I'm impressed with the wide receiver depth, which I think if we keep seeing plays from those receivers down the line, it will lead to some interesting conversations about the guys at, or at least one player at the top of the depth chart there.
1: Wait, um, wait, wait, what do you mean by that? Elaborate.
2: Okay. If Brandon Johnson flashes, and, the, and I can say this from watching OTAs and minicamp and even seeing him today, to me he's playing at a level where he's saying, look, I dare you to cut me. Like he's built on last year. He was a camp star last year. I, th- I think he's taken the next steps this off season.
1: Interesting, and Kendall
2: Hinton—that could he, be bad. He's in bad. He's in a bad place right now, being on the pump. Yeah, and he runs the risk of being kind of yesterday's news of the wide receiver position. Not only because you have a Brandon Johnson, but they signed Marquez Callaway, and there was some intent to signing Marquez Callaway. He had an under-the-radar solid season in New Orleans in 2021 that Sean Payton saw firsthand. And I think anyone with Sean Payton
1: connections is in a good spot. Like, I think Manhurts, the tight end, is in a good spot. Yes. I think Brett Maher, the kicker, is in a good spot. I think if Sean knew you from a stop in New Orleans, even if it was only a year of your career, you were in a good spot to make Denver's 53.
2: Michael Burton, the fullback, I mean, you see him out there a lot. And he's and he played a year for the Saints. It's, there That gives you an advantage now. Now, there's plenty of time to come before you cut down to 53. And there are going to be plenty of opportunities for guys to impress, especially on special teams. We're talking about the mid to back end of the roster. That's what's going to separate some players. And so you, you may be out there watching training camp, and you may have a depth chart in your mind, but maybe that player that you had, on the third team, happens to be uh, a core four special teamer.
1: It's obviously not often we get to hear from Damani Leach and Greg Penner. What were your biggest takeaways from the, the Broncos president, Broncos CEO slash owner taking the podium today?
2: I'll tell you what. Um, in, listening to Greg Penner kind of talk about his relationship with Sean Payton and how he gives him some some a lot of freedom and trusts him. But you know, sometimes he says that you know it's not on everything. Like, but I like I like the way Greg Penner is going about his management because I believe, and this is just from observing and 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 getting and taking the temperature of things. This is somebody who got an education in in the vagaries of the sport. I mean, he, he kind of he talked last today about how you know you're learning that what works for being executive at Walmart doesn't necessarily work in pro football.
1: He mentioned Walmart twice today. Yes. His he, experience in the, the corporate world uh-huh. versus now the football world.
2: And the other response that he gave, I asked him specifically about respecting history but being kind of progressive and going forward. Framing it with the white helmets that we saw unveiled this week. Yep, it's the first time the Broncos ever won a white helmet. They've got the throwback logo on there. So it's it's an interesting needle that they're threading. And so that kind of led me to kind of ask that question. And
0: well, can I play his uh,
2: answer real quick? Play the answer, because if we've got it, play it. I want All right.
0: To- and then we'll react to it. Yes. I can tell you my view is uh, legacy and history is incredibly important, and we want to honor that. But at the same time, one of my pet peeves—I remember my first uh, meeting at Walmart when I took over as chairman—and and I was explaining my some of my pet peeves, and one was please don't ever say the words "that's the way we've always done it" as rationale for something. So, I think we want to honor history, honor our legacy here, but be willing to change when it when when it's necessary. Wow. Okay. What did you take away from that? Well, first of all, I, I mean, I love
2: hearing him have that borderline contempt for the words, that's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man, I've been in meetings and I I hate hearing that sort of thing.
1: It feels like folks that are stuck in the past.
2: Right. There, what, one of the things that you should always do from time to time when you're asking what what you're doing and why you're doing it is say, if we were starting this today, would we do this? I know Mac talks about that with kind of rules in football. Say, if we were starting football today, would we have this rule? Right. You know? Just, just kind of put that test on, uh, on, on everything. That stress test on, on everything that you do, and I think you're going to be in, in in a better p- place organizationally. But to kind of address something that I know a lot of people ask about, and that's uniforms. What that tells me is what they've got cooked up will certainly or what they're cooking up because they're still kind of in a relatively embryonic stage and Demani and Leach said it's still TBD on it. And it's the kind of thing that can take 2 to 3 years. Yep. So, we may not be talking about a new look even for the 2024 season. Um but it tells me kind of the mind the organizational mindset and philosophy is going is going to be maybe that there's respect for, you know, what's gone on but turning a new page and going forward. And can you thread that needle? See, I, I think, for example, the Los Angeles Chargers thread that needle beautifully with their uniforms. It's, there are modern elements to them, but you've got like a hint of the past, like going back to the to the light blue, the numbers on the helmet, which they had in the early 60s. I, one of the reasons why I love their look is because I believe it seamlessly melded their history with being sleek and modern and forward-thinking. You mentioned Nemani Leach on the
1: uniforms. I wrote about that at
2: denversports.com.
1: Listen, guys, he and Kerry Walton Penner took a special trip. Let's hear about it.
0: Yeah, so we're, we're definitely working on it. When, when fans should expect it's still TBD. For those who know... It's quite a lengthy process, both with the league and and with Nike. Um, Carrie has been great in this, and and she led a team of us. We went to Beaverton this past spring and spent a day with the Nike folks talking about concepts, helping them understand what it means to be a Bronco, what we think about our community. Um, Still working on it, um, and and when we are ready to share something, we'll certainly be sharing it.
1: I mean, listen to that. They've done a survey that we know went to season ticket holders. Damani talked about how they got more than 10,000 responses on that, and they took that into consideration in a big way. We've got this new alternate helmet that the reaction has been pretty overwhelmingly positive. And you've got Kerry Walton, Penner, and Damani Leach and a team of the Broncos brass going to the most famous athletic apparel shoe headquarters in the world in Nike and talking to the people about what they want
2: from new uniforms. Are you picturing a meeting like in air?
1: Yeah, exactly. It feels like (laughs) when they're pitching Michael Jordan. Great movie, by the way, if folks haven't seen it. But I do think, again, it just shows you that this ownership group and President Damani Leach are hands on in not only this. We're going to get to the stadium in a little bit. Not, not quite yet, but in terms of all the tours they've done in the stadium, going to Oregon, Mace, it feels like they know that a lot of Broncos country feels like these uniforms are pretty stale mm-hmm. and they need to get this ball rolling sooner rather than later. Again, we'll get to the stadium. That could be six, seven, eight, nine years down the road. Unis, like you said, they take time, but I do think there's a chance they roll out new uniforms next year. Yeah, I think, I think it's well. on the I think it's on the burner
2: of things they want to get done over there. But I also think that if it took another year to get it exactly right, I think they would. And that's kind of what this white helmet actually allows them to do is to introduce something new. I mean, the fact that the Broncos are going to wear a white helmet for the first time in the club's now sixty four season history. Yep. It's one of those things where symbolically I think it has a great deal of power in saying this is their organization now. This is their team, and we are starting to put our own spin on things that is uniquely ours and what we see as the vision for the Denver Broncos. I wonder, too, when it comes to that sort of stuff,
1: like obviously they respect – the Bolin family, they respect Joe Ellis, Mm -hmm. the trust, the three Super Bowls. You can't ignore all of that. But it leads me to believe even more that they want this to be in their family for a long, long time. And they want to create their own legacies starting now. They want to lay the groundwork starting now and hopefully for the next 20, 30, 40 years we can talk about how they transformed the Broncos and took them to new levels and won more Lombardi trophies and threw more parades. That's why That's why when people say, oh, this is just a project for them or they're just going to do this for a few years and then flip it, I totally disagree on all that. I think the, the Denver Broncos will be in the Walton Penner family for the next 50 years a, 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 mm-hmm. a, as somewhat of a guess. Obviously, things can change. But to me, their answers today reinforce Mace. This is a project for the rest of their professional lives, right?
2: My educated guess and my impression, and what I've learned about the Walton Penner Group and Greg Penner and Kerry Walton Penner and Rob Walton, is that for this part of the Walton family, this is about to become the family business. Yep, that will linger and be part of uh, be part of this family through generations all other family get, right you're going to that you're going to get that kind of stability that frankly if you're a uh, Bronco fan today and you are 35 years old i think there is an excellent chance you will not see this franchise sold again in your lifetime even if you live to 90 90- 100 years old. Because if it was just a project, why would they be doing all these things? Right. Why would they be traveling to Beaverton,
1: Oregon to tour Nike to get these new uniforms? Why would they be going to SoFi Stadium and Lumen Field and AT&T Stadium, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to go on these tours to see what they eventually want in their new stadium? This is not a play of a short-term thing. Again, I, I agree with what you're saying. They bought this for generations. And, and Greg Penner, he's
2: young, he's healthy, He's fit. He can do this for another thirty to forty years easily. And the thing is, it's key that they bought it here because they have long had an affinity for the state of Colorado. Like this is a this is a place they have long regarded as another home. We heard in their intro
1: press conference when they bought the team, yeah, this was the only team they wanted, right? Because they, they have enough money
2: to buy any team. They wanted a team in Denver, Colorado. This is what this is where they wanted to be. This is what they wanted to do. Do you do you think with the the uniforms in the
1: stadium? and again, we're going to get to the details on the stadium, particularly what Damani Leach had to say, but just broader. Do you think that the the uniforms are a bigger priority because they're easier to do in a year and the stadium? They still have nine years left on the lease. They can kind of kick the can down the road on that a little bit because those are the two questions we get all the time. Mm-hmm. Uniform, stadium. Uniform, stadium. That's what people care about.
2: Well, the other thing also is when you talk about a stadium and the ancillary projects to that, you're talking about something that, Will represent a commitment that you hope is at minimum thirty years, perhaps even more than that.
1: Yeah, it better be. Like, I mean, at this point, Jerry's world looks like it could last for forty to fifty years,
2: and that was built in what oh seven. If you get it right, you're talking about a, a venue that becomes iconic and part of the legacy. I mean, for you know, I'll give you an example. Um, in New Orleans, the Superdome is one of the most truly iconic venues in the world. It's about to turn 50 years old here in a couple of years. And every time the subject comes up, it's all about, okay, what can we do to renovate this? Because this venue, being where it is, being what it is, and I say where because it's right there, steps from the French Quarter. Correct. What it is, something that is globally recognizable. It's a It's a part of the legacy and the, of the franchise and the connectedness to the community. You know, to their credit, they got it right with that. To Dallas's credit, Jerry Jones got it right with Jerry World. I think the only thing that, that Jerry would change about that was is I think he wishes the location had more around it. Mm. because you go across the street from Jerry World and there's Walmart. No offense to Walmart. Yeah, I was going to say, but,
1: Greg Petter doing
2: business but right you across know the what? street. But, but I'll tell you this. We know that they've, they've toured some spots. Um, they've toured things in other sports. I think they mentioned the Golden State Warriors. They've looked at Atlanta with the development around the Braves Stadium and the complex there. Because you have the stadium, and then you have blocks that are restaurants, shops, uh, uh, buildings, office buildings. Apartments, right? They've created this community, basically just out of the earth in a few years, and that, and that, and now, I mean, the Braves, you know, they kind of they were in one stadium for thirty years, one stadium for twenty. Every indication you get now is like, and I was telling some friend this, it's like they found their forever home. Mm. And if anything, and that's what the Broncos need, because right, Anything they do is going to be like, oh, we're going
1: to build on that spot. You mentioned the Superdome of people, like they have this affinity for it, and they can't ever
2: leave it. No yeah. one feels that way about Mile High. Or right. very few people feel that way about Mile High. I mean, people felt maybe around the original Mile High. I'm talking about Empower but, Power Field. Field at Mile High, it's like it's a nice stadium, but it doesn't have that same, uh, that, that same resonance with the fan base. And that, that, that's that, pretty rare.
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone is thinking, oh, man, you can't get rid of Empower Field at Mile High because it's just an iconic symbol of the city of Denver. Right. It, I've, I have not heard that from anyone, actually. Yeah. Maybe there's a few people that feel that way. but It's I've a never...
2: perfectly fine stadium, Um, but it's, you look, you look at it and you look at what's going on elsewhere. In Kansas City, it's like, anytime the notion of leaving Arrowhead Stadium comes up, it's like, people are aghast. Yeah. I mean, you you keep, so you kind of think in the end, all right, either they're going to find a way to renovate, kind of like you see, like you see what they call redevelopment with soccer stadiums in England. Like, okay, we're going to redevelop one stand at a time because Manchester United is never leaving Old Trafford, right? And you sort of want to, Whatever the Broncos do, you want them to find that sort of thing there to where we say, okay, we might renovate this, but we're never leaving. Believe it or not, the Rockies kind of have it at Coors Field.
1: They kind of do. They kind of do. Coors Field is certainly more iconic than at Power Field at Mile High, despite the product on the field. Coming up on the other side, though, we are going to talk more about the stadium, including what Damani Leach had to say, but we got to get to the big breaking news. The Colorado Buffaloes are mere hours away from joining the Big 12. So there's some big breaking news in the last couple of hours. That is, CU is headed to the Big 12 very, very soon. This is basically done. Should be a formality by tomorrow. Uh, even Brent McMurphy of the Action Network is saying, Colorado is leaving the Pac-12 to return to the Big 12 in 2024. A, a source told him, CU will receive a full Big 12 share, $31.7 million. From ESPN and the Fox Media deal with the Big 12, the Buffs are leaving because of Big 12 stability and Pac-12 uncertainty announcement on Thursday. This comes on the heels of Pete Tamil breaking this story at about 3 o'clock this afternoon. Mace, when these things finally do happen, they happen quick. Big 12 presidents and regents meeting tonight to approve it. Uh, See you doing a regents meeting tomorrow to put a rubber stamp on it. Mace, this is going down. Colorado is jumping off the sinking ship that is the Pac 12 tomorrow.
2: Life moves pretty fast. I think we all remember seeing you leaving the Big 12 for the Pac 12, and it looked like the better bet at the time. It does, but
1: once UCS, USC and UCLA, gosh, help if I could talk bail, then that conference became not as attractive. Yeah. I mean, you lost the two big dogs, the LA market and you can't get
2: a tv deal done and you got to pay coach prime all this money and you want to recruit la anyway it's a huge part of functioning in the pac 12 and one of the reasons why they went there was cuz they wanted to get back to opening those pipelines to southern california and so if you're not, now without that you can't you don't even have that going for you in the pac 12 is the big
1: 12 sexy to you because i had always said mace i would have preferred the big 10 and i don't understand why cu with prime Never really flirted with the Big Ten. I mean, obviously, you would have had SC and UCLA, but you would have had Michigan. You would have had Ohio State, Purdue. You would have had some big dogs to compete with, whereas now it's like, all right, we got to make trips back to, what, Lawrence, Manhattan, Lubbock, Ames, Ames. Morgantown, now that West Virginia's in You got
2: Orlando now that Central Florida's in.
1: Big 12 just doesn't scream. I, I understand the Big 12 is more stable. It doesn't scream powerhouse like the SEC or Big Ten.
2: Look, I think if you gave people in Boulder the truth serum, they would say that, yes, they would love to be in the Big Ten, and that's the dream. But it doesn't mesh with the reality of the situation, right? Um yeah, the, the Big Ten's already kind of already made its Western play. And look, I do think that CU would have been a very good fit for the Big Ten. They're a good fit institutionally, academically, um, market-wise. Because the Big Ten, with m- most of their moves, obviously Nebraska wasn't. Nebraska was brought in kind of, okay, because they were a big football name. But Rutgers was a market-driven move. They're right there in the New York City metropolitan area. Yep, Maryland is you know, just outside of the Beltway in the D.C. area. That was a market-driven move to get to the DMV. And you imagine the next steps for the Big Ten, probably looking east, are going to be about markets or big states. Like, uh, you know, University of North Carolina is one that you always seem to hear if there's the grant of rights in the ACC, but you always hear about North Carolina. You always hear about Miami. Uh, as being potential Big Ten schools. And CU being right there in the Denver-Boulder market, which is a major market, actually, they fit on multiple levels. It does feel a little bit like they're settling here, but it's like, okay, we have to find a lifeboat, right? Right. The Pac-12 is sinking. Let's take the lifeboat on on which we can find a spot right now.
1: Well, we mentioned this at the end of the drive with Chad Brown and Mac talking about this because, again, this news is just breaking this afternoon that CU is leaving for the Big 12. But we mentioned that there's no appeal left to the Pac-12. I mean, USC's gone. UCLA's gone. Coach Prime is gone. I will just ask you a bold, bold question. I heard you guys talking about this with Stanford and Cal. Will they continue to have football? Mace, are we looking at the beginning of the end of the Pac-12 like, this conference may just dissolve, and you see the Oregon states of the world go to the Mountain West.
2: It depends how much more they eventually lose to the Big 12. Like I think the Big 12's final number, when all is said and done, probably in 10, or fi- in 10 to 15 years, I think the Big 12's final number is going to be 24. Wait, 24 teams? Yes. Well, then the Pac-12 will not exist. Yeah.
1: Because they'll take Arizona, they'll take Arizona state, they'll okay. probably take Utah. I would
2: yeah. I would say you're looking at Oregon and Washington eventually landing in the Big 10. Okay, so then
1: almost everyone has a home and that's why I said Oregon State finds a home in the Washington West.
2: State and Oregon State end up in the Mountain West.
1: Yeah. I I you know what? I I think 24 seems high. I'd have to put pen to paper, but I think you're onto something here and I think I'm onto something. I think today is the day the Pac-12 goes away. Not, I phrased it
2: wrong. If the beginning of the end wasn't when SC and UCLA left, the beginning of the end is is CU leaving because then I think the dominoes start to fall. And um, 15, yeah. 20
1: years from now, we will tell up-and-coming fans, hey, back in the day there was this league called the Pac-10, and mm-hmm. then it became called the Pac-12, and then it was managed so poorly from a revenue and TV media deal standpoint mm-hmm. that it fizzled out and dissolved, and all twelve teams
2: found new homes. Yeah, or basically the Pac-12 becomes the new Mountain West, and they yeah,
1: who gets to keep the name almost? Yeah, yeah.
2: which name has more value at that point? Right. Um, I mean, you, what I think, and I and I know it, it kind of sounds crazy, but the one thing that is keeping this whole. House of cards from tumbling nationwide is the grant of rights in the ACC that has kept schools from leaving, but there was a group of seven schools in the ACC that reportedly met they were and, and jokingly referred to as the Magnificent Seven to see to try to start figuring out could we all leave? What happens if we all left at once? off the top of my head, Those schools were um, Miami, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Yeah, a pretty powerful group. And basically, I think what you would see is some of them going to the the Big Ten and some going to the SEC. I think Notre Dame, which is a non-football member of the ACC, I think they also go to the Big Ten. I think where we end up here, Will, is the Big Ten and the SEC both being at 24 schools apiece and that being the top of the pyramid. And then the next level, you know, is major. Maybe like like there's some kind of Big 12 plus what's left of the ACC and maybe a couple of schools that you pluck, a couple more schools that you pluck out of the Mountain West and the American, and that's kind of like that second tier. So it's like a a tier of 48 that's at the very top, and then another major tier that uh, is like a a group of like 40 schools or something. Wait,
1: so are you saying that this domino from CU today could create the super conference? That the super conference that we've heard about, I mean, when 24 teams, those are super conferences.
2: Yes, that the Super Conference is kind of the true domino is going to be if those ACC schools try to get out of that grant of rights,
1: and then the Super Conference will be the next thing.
2: Yeah, and that and you heard grant of rights thrown around for the Pac twelve a lot, like because yes, that does confer a level of stability. But the thing that you've got going on in the ACC is you have the rev, the high revenue schools that are saying we're we're producing this, and you know then some others aren't. I mean. It's it's really kind of a it, – it's a weird spot even though you look competitively like a school like Wake Forest isn't a high-revenue school and doesn't have a huge fan base. But my goodness, they go toe-to-toe with everybody else. And something is going to be lost in all this. Yeah. Unfortunately. we're. I think we'll lose something if we have these two – godzilla super conferences in the sec in the big 10 and a school like washington state doesn't have the chance to go in and crash the party the way they used to
1: well good news for cu is they have found some stability uh it was evident to everyone that the pac-12 was going the way of the titanic and they needed to get a seat on one of those lifeboats they reportedly have this should become official tomorrow the cu buffs back to their roots for the first time since 2010 in the big 12 all right We'll wrap up the show. I promise we'll get back to the stadium and what Damani Leach said. Plus, it's rare you get to hear from the owner of the Broncos and Greg Penner, well, he's given Sean Payton a lot of power. Been a lot of fun on a Wednesday with Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. We were both out at the Centura Health Training Center today with a lot of our crew. Uh, Mace, Cecil, Rachel, Dmac, and myself were some of the representatives from 104.3 The Fan and Denver Sports out there today. We'll obviously have... A ton of training camp coverage starting on Friday, including a lot of live shows over in the area. I do, though, Mace, want to talk about Damani Leach's comments about the stadium today, a new stadium. And the biggest one to me was this. Quote, I'd say broadly we're still, to use a football metaphor, in the first quarter of that, continuing to do research Visited a number of facilities last season. No current plans to visit anymore. But obviously, as we travel to away games, certainly spend some time not just at those facilities, but also hockey and basketball arenas. We went to Golden State and saw that facility there. I think there's a lot to learn, so we'll just continue to research. Very curious that, you know, they're not committing to it, Mace. And they're also not saying, oh, we are deep in the process of this. President of the Broncos today says, guys, we're still in the first quarter of a new stadium.
2: Got to turn the mic on. Got yeah. turn the mic sometimes, on the radio. Yeah, sometimes uh, that's the reminder that I'm a writer before I'm a radio person, <laughs> but you know what the lease the Broncos have basically gives them this luxury. And again, we were we were talking about earlier in the show with Empower Field at Mile High. There's nothing really functionally wrong with it. No. You know, the the sight lines are good for the most part. Um the location it has it's accessible on two rail lines that you can you know walk up to the stadium there there's a, there's a lot about it that is just fine the, by staying there the broncos aren't falling hopelessly behind are they in the category of teams like the cowboys like uh the 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 rams at uh, SoFi Stadium um the Vikings in, in Minneapolis at U.S. Bank Stadium. No, they're not in that category, but they're not going. They're not the A's playing at Oakland Coliseum. Okay,
1: correct. It's not an embarrassment by right. any stretch.
2: It's fine. You can play. It's Washington has a stadium they've got to get out of. It's falling apart. It hasn't been well maintained. Every year there's something, there's some video that goes viral of a railing collapsing or sewage being, you know, pouring into the stands. You don't have that, right? That's not going on at Empower Field at Mile High. So it gives them time to sit back, see as many venues as possible. And again, in multiple sports, I alluded to them checking checking out the Braves set up in Atlanta. They're checking out Golden State. They checked out the Seattle Kraken, by the way. Right, climate play, climate pledge arena where the Avs play. And I, love, and, I, and I love that. That they are looking everywhere. I know they got a good look at Wembley Stadium when they were in London, right? That they are just trying to get as much information as possible.
1: Information will be a good yes. thing for the Broncos. Still in the first quarter on their process to potentially we'll use the word potentially nothing's imminent uh-huh. to build a new stadium i also mentioned rare we get to hear from an owner we heard from greg penner today took a lot of questions and i think maybe one of his best sound bites was he's taken a lot from sean payton because sean payton's done this for a long time
0: uh we talk a lot uh at the same time i'm i'm a big believer in empowering people and he's got years of experience in this league and uh, has run training camp, uh, training camps many times. So uh, for a lot of decisions, you know, he he makes the call. And and um, uh, but there are other things that we'll we'll talk in more depth on. And, and that's part of building a relationship is understanding, um, you know, where he knows he has free reign and and other points that we'd uh, we'd touch base and make a decision together. <laughs> I like that very end. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's some things he's got free reign on. And then there's something,
1: Sean, that, hey, guess what? I'm still the owner. I'm still the CEO. You got to come to me, and we'll make a joint decision. Do you
2: think maybe Greg Penner had a conversation with Sean Payton about the stuff that he said earlier this week?
1: Going off to the USA Today, blasting the NFL's gambling policy. Yeah, that might have been one rain, and the, maybe rain the fish back. You know,
2: in. and maybe that's part of why Sean Payton was kind of reticent today when it came up, and he didn't say very much. You might have
1: gotten a call to the boss's office. Yeah, morning.
2: there, there might, there, there might have been a little, you know, you know, correction with kindness.
1: But do you like Greg Penner showing so much faith in Sean Payton and admitting, yes, I'm higher on the food chain. Sean's mm-hmm. higher on the experience chain when it comes
2: to the NFL. Of course. I mean, the the one thing I I respect about Greg Penner and how he's gone about managing things. And certainly last year it was an education, but he knows what he doesn't know, and then he seeks to get as much wisdom and knowledge on it as he possibly can, but still will defer to the experts that they've brought in to make a lot of the key decisions.
1: I wish we could do this show for two hours, three hours, four hours. We saw plenty to talk to or talk about. Yeah. People can read about it at denversports.com. I want to get out of here on this, though. D-Mac mentioned it today on The Drive. It's kind of interesting. We heard from Greg Benner. We heard from Damani Leach. We heard from Sean Payton. We heard from Justin Simmons. We heard from Cortland Sutton. We didn't hear from the GM of the Denver Broncos today, George Payton. And we heard from him last year at this time,
2: and we heard from him at this time the year before as well.
1: I mean, how many of the 32 NFL GMs didn't talk this week? Two? Wow. Three? Yeah. That's something. If you're a GM on an NFL team and camp opens, you generally
2: find a microphone. I don't want to read too much into it, but it's curious. I'll put it that way. Well, it's what happened when Mike Shanahan was here. We usually didn't hear from the GM at the start of camp either. Because
1: there's a new sheriff in town.
2: Yeah. There's a new boss of football operations.
1: All right. Well, George Payton, he's still here for now. We wish him the best. We certainly wish the Broncos best. A fun way to kick off training camp for KJ, for Mace, I'm Will. It's DST on the fan. Oh, oh, you it. Just beat out.